the second part of our Easter mini-series, and we're going to talk today about faith. Today is Palm Sunday. We know what the significance of that means. Matthew 21 is the first time that the word Hosanna is used in the New Testament, and it's in reference to Jesus entering into Jerusalem for Passover. We know what happens Thursday. We know what happens Friday. We also know what happens Sunday. And we're excited about that, even though it was very difficult to be a part of and to watch in that moment in time. Uh, What we want to talk about first, beginning with this, is what actually the word Hosanna means as we're referencing Palm Sunday. Uh, It's a a great word. It has several meanings, in fact. And as I mentioned, the first usage of it was Matthew 21.9. It says there, Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God, which is our word for Hosanna. For the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God. Again, Hosanna. Praise God in the highest heavens. A lot of folks view the word Hosanna as a proclamation of a new salvation. These palm branches were being laid down as people were laying their very clothes down on the pathway as Jesus entered into the city. Uh, They marked the beginning of what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. And this occurred, obviously, before Jesus was arrested on Thursday and his crucifixion on Friday. The word itself simply means save, please, or save us, please. It comes from the Hebrew word hosiana, which is translated in Greek as osana, and in English we call it hosanna. Uh, The original intent of the scripture is save. It's simply a plea for help. God's people use this multiple times. It's mentioned in the Psalms several times and throughout the duration of the Old Testament. It also means salvation, thank you, as though we're offering this up to God. Not only save us, please, but the salvation has come. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you've offered us. Again, Psalm 118 is a place that we can look to as verse 25 says, Please, Lord, please save us. Please give us success. And right after that, in verse 26, there's a shift from concern to confidence because they were scared And yet Jesus, his presence, God's presence, the Lord's presence brought great confidence because of their faith. Verse 26 says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's a great example of faith and a demonstration of the shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament as well. Uh, Today we use Hosanna a lot of times in some of our older hymns and some of our spiritual songs. It's an act of worship and prayer. We will sing Hosanna in the highest, glory to God. When we acknowledge Jesus for his ultimate sacrifice and what it means for us and mankind as a whole, it's redemptive in its usage. The biggest takeaway from this is the understanding that even if we are in a place of life where we're pleading, we should acknowledge it as a form of worship as well. It's how we give praise. We're asking, and then when we get into his presence, there's boldness and confidence brought to us, and then it becomes a praise, an accolade of the glory of God. And so uh, as we're talking about this word Hosanna and this whole transition of Jesus entering into the city, knowing what he's facing, a a lot of scripture, a lot of the gospels, in fact, are uh, brought into play here in this final week of Jesus's life. He's continuing to teach. He's continuing to do life as normal. He's loving people. He's bringing people into the flock, into the fold, showing God, performing miracles, healing, doing all these wonderful things. And yet in the back of his mind, He knows why he has come. They don't. The people are hoping that their Savior has come in the Savior sense of salvation 
from the Roman Empire. Salvation from those who have oppressed them for so long and kept them down. And Jesus didn't come to rescue them from Rome. He came to save them from a far worse enemy, which is Satan and hell. He came to bring us salvation and to usher that in. Yet the people, as he rode in, laid down their palm branches, laid down their cloaks, and they shouted, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Please save us. Lord, we recognize you as king, even though they may have misinterpreted that kingship and what it truly meant for them. Sadly, a few days later, uh, the people, many of the people, I believe, that were the same ones ushering Jesus into the city were so disappointed by him that they yelled, crucify him, in place of, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. As sad as that is, uh, we want to see today, through Scripture, how we can have a faith that endures, a true lasting faith. Not just a faith that welcomes Jesus in when everything is good and then disappears when things are bad. We're going through enough bad right now, all of us are. It's a difficult time. So we want a true faith that endures, that is present, and that lasts, that it makes us changed from the inside out, that it brings glory to God, and it affects people's lives. And so with that, the title of today's message is Mustard Seed Faith. And we're going to shift from Matthew 21 back to Matthew 17, going back four chapters. And I would invite you to go in your Bibles to Matthew 17. We're going to read verse 14 through 20 here in just a moment. Before we do that, I want to set up what faith actually means as you're finding your place in God's Word. What is faith? Why is faith so important? First of all, faith is so vital to the Christian life because the Bible tells us without it, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that. And it's such a magnificent gift. I want to zoom in on that word gift, play on that word gift, because it is a free gift of grace. It's nothing that you or I can earn. We can't work hard enough to get grace. We can't barter with God. We can't make trades with God. It's all a gift, and it has to be received as such. But this magnificent gift from God is uh, the very idea that Jesus would tell his disciples that even a minute measure of faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, could move mountains. So what does it mean to have this mustard seed faith? Well, uh, to continue this definition of faith, faith is the means God uses to bring salvation to his people. God gives faith because of his grace and mercy. Guys, we don't deserve it at all. It is a gift of God. Uh, the key verse here may be Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You can look that up and read that, maybe highlight it in your Bible. But God so loves us that he gave his only son so that we might believe in him and have everlasting life. A gift is not earned, and neither does the giver give the gift expecting anything in return. Under those conditions, it would not really be a gift at all. The Bible emphasizes that faith is a gift because God gives it, and God deserves all the glory for our salvation. If you or I could do anything to earn or work out our salvation, then we would have every right to boast. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9 again tells us that so no one may boast, that it's truly seen, that it's from the Lord alone. God wants his children. He wants us to understand that we've done nothing to earn faith. It's only because of what Christ did on that cross that God gives anyone faith. By knowing our saving faith comes from God alone, it should do a couple of things for us. It should encourage us, and it should also humble us to not think, as Romans 12, 3 says, to not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to. 
but remembering that God decides the measure of faith that each person receives. Paul gives an example of godly humility as it relates to faith in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Listen to Paul. Paul's the same man who exclaimed that he is the chiefest of sinners, yet he has experienced the great grace and salvation of God. He gave his life literally to the fullest end to go out and spread the gospel so that people might believe by faith. Listen to what he says in this verse. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul understood to the depths of his soul that faith in Christ was given to him because of God's grace in spite of his sinfulness. We've all been sinners, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God gives us a free gift that if we will just believe and accept it, we will be forgiven and saved. That's the beautiful message of Easter. Not just that we can be saved, but that we can use the salvation to help others find Jesus as well. The Bible spells out the way that God gives faith to people. Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so that is why it's so important still to this day to have the message of the gospel spoken, delivered. The spoken word is highly important because without it, how will people hear the gospel? Yes, you can read about it in the Bible. Yes, you can read books about it. You can read anything or hear anything, but every time that the gospel is shared, there is an opportunity for faith to be acted upon. It's a beautiful thought. It's the word of God that produces faith. The Holy Spirit does something magnificent and miraculous within those who read it, hear it, convicted by the Holy Spirit, led to the Lord, and believe. Someone could receive faith by hearing the teaching of the gospel. Someone else might hear it by reading the Bible. And anytime the true gospel of Jesus is communicated, we said this already, but there is the potential for faith. There's the potential for your faith to be increased or for you to even believe right now as you hear us worship and preach the word of God. That's why it's so important for Christians to be obedient to the Great Commission, for us to not just be uh, hearers of the word, but to be doers of it so that other people around us might hear the gospel and be saved as well. People like my family, people like my friends, people that I may just run into in daily activities in the marketplace of life, people that you are the only one that will be able to speak into their lives. You might be the only one that they trust or respect enough to listen to, and we have to speak this word of life into them. It's not the product of any preacher or writer, or author's great message. It's not the result of eloquence. I'm not an eloquent man. However, uh, I do stand upon the promises of God. It's his word. It's his authority. It's his power. It's his ability to do this. Not me and not you. Every time we share our faith, which is given through the message about Jesus, God uses it in some way. His word does not return to him void. By the way, it's good for anybody who's desiring faith. Maybe your faith is weak right now. I understand that completely. Uh, we have gone through so much, not just this mess with COVID-19, but normal life goes on. People are still lonely. People are still getting diagnosed with cancer. People are still dying. Tragedy happens. Difficulties, stress, anger, financial problems, all kinds of stuff. As we approach tax season, people are stressed beyond limit, and we're stretched sometimes beyond our own limits. Guys, 
If you need faith, if you need hope, it's good to ask for it. God doesn't withhold good gifts from his children. It's wise for us to ask that our faith might be increased. Jesus prayed for Peter's faith to be increased in Luke chapter 22. And, it, and with any God-given gift, such as faith, it's our responsibility as believers to exercise the gift so that we don't become complacent or lazy with it, that we don't become apathetic with it. Because, guys, if you've trusted Jesus, my, my question to you is, what have you done with Jesus since the moment you trusted him for salvation? Has your life been a plateau? Has it gone downhill? Are you continuing to climb, to reach closer to the Lord, to bring more people with you along the way? It's one thing to have faith. It's another thing to live by faith. We can find great comfort and peace in knowing that our faith is from God. Because he has said it, he will finish the good work that he began in us. That's his promise. God is the author and perfecter of faith. That means not only did he begin it, he's working it out in you even today. Even when your faith is small, maybe if your faith is non-existent. We see the reference to this mustard seed of faith a couple of times in the Bible. First, we see it in our scripture text today, Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. And I want to uh, read this with you this morning so that you'll get an idea of the text itself. And then you could go back, hopefully, and study this in further detail. Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, now let me put this in context. Jesus, Peter, James, and John had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They had seen miracles happen. Uh, they had seen those that were risen from the dead. Uh, they have seen restoration. Uh, they have seen a rising, in fact. This is like a precursor to the resurrection that's going to occur. They see that people can live even after they're long dead. And Jesus is coming with his inner circle of disciples back down into a village here, and he comes in contact with a man and a crowd that's there. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before Jesus... The posture is important there. What did he do? The first thing he did is he knelt before the Lord. He fell on his face before the Lord. He said, Lord, have mercy on my son. It wasn't a prayer for himself. He was interceding for somebody else. And this was his son, his child. He says, for my son is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus, he had just gotten done rebuking his disciples, but then he turns and he rebukes the demon. It says, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This first reference that we see of the mustard seed faith uh, happens here in Matthew uh, 17, verse 20, really. We see the disciples, they're unable to exercise this demon from a young boy, even though previously, Jesus, just a couple of chapters before here, has given the disciples his very authority to do this very thing, to cast out demons, to perform miracles of all kinds. This was an embarrassing moment for the disciples. So they went to Jesus privately and they asked in effect, what happened? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus replied, verse 20, because 
You have such little faith. Next, the next time we see the uh, mustard seed referenced in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 17, verse 6. Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples, says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. By using the small mustard seed as an example, Jesus is speaking figuratively about the inestimable, incalculable power and might and authority of God Almighty when it is unleashed in and upon the lives of those with true faith. Don't forget the context. We, we said this, uh, but they were coming down from the mountain of transfiguration. Uh, at least three of them had experienced Jesus in a whole new radical form. They had seen others who were resurrected and came into their presence, and they wanted to build an altar there on the mountain. Jesus stopped them. It is here at this point, at this moment in time, that after witnessing heaven touch earth and the impossible happening, that some of the disciples are chastised for their lack of faith. You know, we're chastised as believers today. We're disciplined uh, because Jesus loves us. He doesn't want us to stay in a place of unbelief. He doesn't want us to remain in a place of little faith. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become more like him. He wants us to have the mind of Christ. And so their faith was small and weak. Their trust in God's power was insufficient in this instance. Regardless of your past successes, you need a present faith. Listen, I've heard so many in the church say, I used to do such and such to serve in the church, but I'm retired from that ministry now. Friends, we don't retire from the Christian ministry because we don't retire from faith in Jesus Christ. Our successes might have been great. We may have been soul winners and led people to the Lord. But what is your present faith today? The disciples had done great and mighty things, but in this instance, their faith fell flat. Our eyes have to be continuously focused upon the Lord. If their faith had been even the size of the smallest of seeds, the mustard bush, not even a mustard tree, it was really a bush, they would have been able to move mountains. I want to share with you very quickly three points about this passage as we break down the verses in a little greater detail. Number one, the question is, who is in control? Who's in control of your life? Do you run the show? Do you have the reins in your hand? Are you the one making the shots? Do you make the decisions and then ask God to bless you? Perhaps you're in the wrong. Verses 14 through 16 answer this question, who is in control? Jesus is the one who comes to the crowd. Jesus is constantly going to people. Are we, if we're to be gospel bearers and gospel sharers, the word is in the Great Commission to go. It's not to stay. I know we're confined in our homes right now, but that doesn't mean your words can't travel still. With the technology that we have, with the social media resources at our fingertips, we can still go with the word of God, no matter where that is, no matter where we are. And so Jesus would constantly go. And he came to a man, and the man knelt before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. When's the last time you interceded for somebody else that wasn't for yourself? That you're not just asking things for yourself constantly, but you're praying for somebody else that has a great need. He tells about the boy's condition and how often he is injured and hurt. And then he says that I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do it. And so we have Jesus entering in the scene. The, the father of the boy was kneeling. This was an expression that he was not in control. He was humbled before the Lord. And that's the place where we begin with our faith, a humble faith. He could not do anything alone, nor could the disciples in their action do anything on their own. They proved this in this instance. They had tried, but they were unsuccessful. Why? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. 
I know this, that Jesus had given them authority. He's given you and I a special authority as well. We are saints, the beloved of God. We're called overconquerors in the scriptures. We have power that is loosed on earth, that is loosed in heaven. We have words of faith to speak. We have privilege. We have access to the throne of God. We can come to God at any moment through Jesus the Son in prayer. We have the word of God. We have abilities that we don't even use. Apparently, the disciples weren't using all of their ability that day, nor their authority. They were acting on their own accord, and it was without true faith. We've been given the opportunity and the authority to make decisions in our own lives. But when we try to make those decisions and reach out to others on our own power, in our own strength, most often we fail. True faith in Jesus begins by realizing and declaring to God that you are not in control, that he is. Maybe you want to stop right now and just say a little prayer and say, Father, forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Father, forgive me of worrying about every little detail. Father, forgive me that the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning is reach for Facebook, reach for Instagram, reach for Twitter, reach for social media. I reach for the newspaper. I reach for the morning news, whatever it is. But, Father, please help me to first turn to you, to seek your kingdom first. God, we recognize that you're the answer and that you're in control. With even a small trust in an omnipotent God, the impossible becomes possible for you and I. So trust him first. Trust him often. Trust him late. Trust him always. Not only do we answer the question this morning, who is in control, and acknowledging, not just with our lips, but with our hearts, that he is. The second question is, by whose authority is anything accomplished? Anything good, that is. Faith in Jesus is believing that he has all authority, not just some. The devil's not in control. The Lord is. But sometimes we act like the devil is. Sometimes we act like we are. True faith is believing Jesus is Lord. It's acting faith. I'm I'm sorry. It's acting in faith and resting in his authority. It's acting and resting. These are two verbs that we must be doing at all times. We act on the word of God, but we also rest in the Lord. There is to be a a shalom in the Lord, a peace in the Lord that comes from doing what he says and doing it immediately and also resting, trusting, believing, knowing, having peace through the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. This man brought his son to Jesus. He knew Jesus could heal him. Jesus reprimanded the disciples for their lack of faith. And this wasn't a failure of being present. Man, they were there. A lot of times we aren't even there when the need happens. It wasn't a lack of them trying because they certainly made an effort. It wasn't even a failure of power. They had been given the power to do such things. No, this was a failure of faith. The words used here in verses 17 and 18, Jesus said faithless and twisted. Uh, He said unbelieving and perverse in some translations. Uh, The word perverse means a distortion of something until it is no longer useful. Warping, bending. It it makes something that was once straight crooked. You think about tires on your vehicle or wheels on your vehicle. In either instance, when the tires are warped or your wheels are warped, your vehicle doesn't run properly. It doesn't run smoothly. It affects the rest of your vehicle, it causes wobble, it causes engine damage, it causes poor gas efficiency and all of those things. Guys, what about our lives? Are we balanced? Are we in line? Have we been rotated so that our minds are set on the things of the Lord? 
When the disciples acted without faith, in essence, they were no longer useful to Jesus or his ministry. To put it another way, they were unusable. And guys, of all things, you and I need to be usable to the Lord. But we can't please the, God, please the Lord God without faith. A lot of us say we believe, but our actions must match our words. So many of us try to sit in Jesus' place, but we must come to realize that he's in charge. He's on the throne, not us. He has all the authority. We must put, move over and put our faith in him alone, yielding and humbling ourselves to him. And that's important, to yield to the Lord, but also to humble ourselves before the Almighty One. When we do that, we will begin saying and trusting, thy will be done. We can say it. We can speak a good game. A lot of us know the Bible inside and out. We speak Christianese. We know the, the Sunday school answers down pat. But to be really honest, when it comes, when push comes to shove, we don't prove that we believe what we've said by our actions. And guys, that's what happened on the road into Jerusalem that day. A lot of people were saying the right things. But when push came to shove and Jesus was in a place of vulnerability, a lot of people turned away. Let us not do the same. Jesus performed this miracle here of healing the boy with a demon to show the disciples and everyone watching that he has all the authority. In our lives, Jesus is constantly showing us the same thing. Perhaps it is in ways that we are unaware of. A lot of times I don't even think we realize the miracles that Jesus is doing just to keep us afloat. Sometimes we don't think about the little things that maybe we've prayed for and taken for granted the rest of the day when he daily provides for our needs. And not just daily, day after day after day, year after year after year, decade after decade for the duration of a life. He just keeps providing. He's so faithful to us. Maybe it's when we lose a job and he shows us that there was really nothing to worry about at all. Maybe it's when we're praying, uh, when we're praying for something and the prayer doesn't get answered. It doesn't happen because it wasn't his will. But in the end, it leads to something far better than we could have ever thought or imagined for our lives. Maybe it's when he shows us the power of faith and prayer through someone else's faith. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a hospital room thinking how I could encourage a person. And seeing them in their bed, they've encouraged me instead. Their faith was greater than mine was. The key to understanding Jesus' teaching here is the nature of the faith that can move mountains. The nature of the faith. It's totally a gift from God. And if it belongs to God, if it's God's gift, it's a powerful gift. He's put it in your possession. His power can do anything. It's unlimited. The power of faith reflects the powerful nature of the God who supplies it. If God's going to give us something, he's not going to give us something that's useless. It's always going to be useful. It's always going to be powerful. It's always going to be beneficial. He says here, when we take it, it's our responsibility to tap into the resource that it is to use it. The mustard seed is one of the tiniest seeds found in the Middle East. I think we've established that. So the idea here is that the amount of faith needed to do great things is quite small. Just as in the parable of the mustard seed in Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32, I don't want you to confuse Matthew 17 and Matthew 13. They both talk about mustard seeds, but they are totally different accounts and narratives. So be careful because a lot of times when we're talking about mustard seeds, we talk about Matthew 17 or Matthew 13. They're different stories here. But in the parable of the mustard seed found in Matthew 13, Jesus uses this rhetorical hyperbole to make the point that little is much when it comes to God. 
The mustard seed in the parable grows to be this great tree. And it represents the tiny beginnings, the humble beginnings of Christianity. When just a few disciples were around to evangelize and to preach and to teach the gospel. Eventually, the kingdom grew to its present day today. It has grown, encompassing the entire world and spreading over time. Guys, that's because faithful men and women faithfully obeyed God and served him and went where he said to go. And we can still do that today. His power is still the same as it was then with the early church. We just need to tap into it and truly believe. The third and final point this morning is his power being revealed. And we find this in verses 19 through 20. Faith in Jesus results in his power being revealed in your life. Man, we can take off the mask. When we show Jesus, we're the most brilliant and beautiful that we possibly can be. When we believe him, even in a world that's skeptical, even in a world that hates Christianity, even in a world that mocks and scoffs and scorns us to shame, showing Jesus is brilliant and beautiful. It reveals his power because he uses the weak and the foolish things of this world. And I proudly fit into that category. The disciples wanted to know what they did wrong. It was a low moment for them. And Jesus saying, because of your little faith, we understand this to mean not necessarily the quantity of faith, but the quality of faith. A mustard seed was small. If they had put their faith in the right place, though, they could move mountains, which is a figure of speech that really means to overcome a great difficulty or to accomplish things that were humanly impossible. You got mountains in your life? Join the crowd. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. We all have mountains in the way. Like David, we have giants that stand in the way of what God wants for us. God can move those mountains, even if they're man-made, even if we brought it upon ourselves. God wants us to trust him enough to see his power at work, pushing them back into the sea and clearing the path for us so that we may walk a straight path. This is why faith in Jesus is so essential. You can put your faith wholeheartedly in anything or anyone you like, but faith alone does nothing. Now hear me because I've talked this whole message about faith. Faith by itself, good thing. But faith alone does nothing. It's the object of your faith that makes all the difference. If your faith is in me, I will fail you and let you down. I'll try not to, but I'm a human being. But if my faith and your faith is in God Almighty, he will never fail us, nor will he leave us, nor will he forsake us. He'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. When you put your faith in Allah, listen, those who believe in Allah, my Muslim friends, your faith in Allah is powerless and useless. For those who believe in Buddha, your faith is off point. It's minimized because it's in someone that doesn't exist any longer, except in a spiritual form apart from God Almighty. Faith in nature is powerless as faith in yourself is powerless. Power only comes when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When you place your faith in Jesus, you will experience the power and authority, his power revealed in your life, shown forth in your life. Our problem is that many times we either have too much faith in ourselves or not enough faith in him. Moving mountains, by the way, did not mean that the disciples could do anything they wanted to. It's not like I can name and claim anything that I want. This all falls in the parallel tracks of God's will. We can't just say what we want and have it happen 
if we believe God enough. You can't faith what you want into existence because trust me, I'd love to have a 2020 Ford F-250 King Ranch right now. But I can't muster enough faith to make that happen. I'd also like to have a jet. So if you're watching, you can write your checks too. I'm joking around with you. The thing is that faith itself is not where the power lies. It's the object of faith. When you declare you are not in control and you put your faith in Jesus' power and authority, again, his power is revealed in your life. Even the tiniest bit of faith, which is what this message is all about, when it's true faith from and in God, can grow to immense proportions in the lives of believers. It can spread out from us to touch our families and influence people that we come in contact with all over this world. The point Jesus was making is that even a little bit of faith, faith the size of that tiny mustard seed, can overcome mountain-sized obstacles in your life. God is wanting to reveal his power in your life, and perhaps he's waiting for you to stop trying to do it on your own, to stop believing yourself so much and to trust him more. If so, this morning, simply come before him. Humbly ask of him with true faith in him alone. Ask him, God, in fact, pray with me right now. And maybe you want to say this prayer with me. God, I'm sorry for the things that I have made it, for the way that I've tried to control this, for what all I have done. God, I, I'm not capable of accomplishing these great and glorious things that you desire for my life. Lord, I can't even do your will. I can't even please you without faith. And it's not my faith. It's faith in you, the object of my faith. Father, I believe for myself and all those that are watching and listening that you can do anything in our lives. Lord, I believe that you can wipe out viruses. I believe that you can heal our land. I believe that you can financially restore us. I believe that you can bless our president and our leaders. I believe, Lord God, that you can heal us, that you can help us, that you can encourage us, that you can draw us up from the darkness and the depths of self-depravity. I believe, Lord, that you can take dead men and women and make them alive in Jesus Christ, all through faith. Lord, we believe that if we trust you, that if we work underneath the umbrella of your authority, that if we act within the confines of your word, that if we ask your help and seek you, Lord God, that you can do it all. And God, whatever mountain-sized obstacle is in the way for us today, oh, Father, we lay it before you. It's nothing but a footstool for Jesus. Lord, we trust you. I pray it's more than just words, God. I pray that our hearts truly trust you. We're having things stripped away from us, things that maybe we once thought were important, all the sports, all the entertainment, all the movies, even the ability to come and assemble in churches. Lord, we know this didn't catch you off guard and that since you're sovereign, you're using this moment in history to do something great for your redemptive purposes and plans. So, Lord, let us have faith enough to know you're in control, that you've got this. And, Lord, even if you choose to, no matter what happens, you've got us as well. We're in your hands, God. We give you our lives. We give you our souls. And in return, you give us salvation, joint heirship with Jesus, an eternity in heaven, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, you give us all things. And you're making all things new even right now. We believe that by faith. Father, thank you for what you're going to do, not just today, but in the coming weeks. 
as you answer prayers and as you heal our sicknesses and recover our land and redeem souls and bring uh, sunshine after the stormy rain, we're going to give you all the glory and the praise because you deserve it. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus.